brain. Fishwife. Flying tart. No. No, no. It, it got off to a flying stop. This is the Extra Hot Great Podcast, episode 5 for the week of November 8th, 2010. My name is David T. Cole. I am here with Joe Reed. Hey. And Tara Ariano. Yes. Oh, boy. Man, we got a show packed full of nutty goodness. <laughs> nutty goodness. Nutty goodness indeed. I didn't know there were nuts. I specifically requested no nuts. Yeah. So how you doing, guys? Not bad. Fine. Full of burgers? Did everybody watch Walking Dead, which I always want to call Waking Dead every time I start to <laughs> talk about it? Yes. I did, finally, the pretty, other day. I had to wait. I was, I was marginally excited about it, but then, I, and then it turned out to be really good, I thought. Yeah, it was yeah, good. It was, it, I, I was on the fence for maybe the first... 40 minutes or so i thought it was fine but i thought it was the uh pacing of it kept me from really ever building up ahead of steam until that part where he turns the corner on horseback uh on that street in atlanta yes. and he sort of runs into the wall of zombies yes and from that exact moment i was like in done good. yeah we probably should have said sp- spoilers oh well yeah mm. i mean the full they just you should have watched it by now you people. should and the full episode just went up on hulu this week like yeah. thursday or friday so previous to that it was only available for purchase on itunes and amazon now you can watch it for free so yeah. there's no excuse that's unless true. you're in canada which sorry sorry that's, that's not my fault <laughs> i didn't tell you to live in canada Anyway, spoilers, there are zombies. <laughs> and now they know there's a horse. Oh, that's true. And there's Atlanta. <laughs> there's a city called Atlanta. Yeah. Uh, they, I, I, we watched it in two phases because I got too sleepy. This often happens. Um, so we watched the first half and then uh, I, I think I was probably, you know, I agree with you about the pacing. It was very slow and yeah. methodical. Not that that's necessarily a flaw. Oh no, I didn't think that's what you were saying. But the the part where they got me was when he's crossing the the park, and he runs into half Z, half Z, half Z with her the zombie. Half Z. Oh, <laughs> a little background story on that. There's a guy <laughs> that we met on Roosevelt Island. In Roosevelt Island is like basically a weird island in Manhattan. You shouldn't well, say you often. met him like you, you, you sat down and chatted. We crossed paths, cross, as it were. Yes, you, you saw With him. a guy who was sort of like that zombie, and he was basically just like, he was he was cut halfway through. He had no legs, no, barely a torso. A, and yeah. He, like that guy and in the... just uh, rolls around on the gurney on the island. And yeah. we, being the horrible people that we are, <laughs> nicknamed him Half-Z. As you would. So the zombie version <laughs> has half Z. Half Z. Or yeah. for our Canadian listeners. Half Z. Half Z. <laughs> but yeah, the that was the the creepy not only the creepiest thing in the episode for me, but the creepiest thing I think I've seen in a really well, long time. It was, I mean, it was the leg bone. The leg that bone was sticking out. out. Yes. Oh. Totally. Like yeah. it was clean of meat. You yes. know, it was oh, just God. sort it of was, it yeah. was Pure yeah. white and pure horrible. This, yeah, the this depictions of those zombies dragging was really good. itself through the park on yep. its elbows and just looking miserable and also looking like it kind of wanted to try to attack the guy yeah. who is still, yeah. you know, alive and has all his parts. And you know, obviously, yeah. that's not going to get anywhere. Well, and that was one of the things <sighs> I really liked about the way they depicted the zombies too. Was not that I was I was never really a, a, against the swiftly moving zombies mm-hmm. from sure. that wave of fast zombies. I know people purists were like, 
objected to them. On and a, can we just on take a, a moment level? to <laughs> laugh at the idea of zombie pure? Right. That's exactly. Like, I, I thought those movies, most of those movies with the fast zombies were really good. But I, I also want to just say that, that our friend Susan tweeted something this week that was quoting, God only knows where she saw it, but something like, 90% of the zombies in TV and movies don't act the way yes. real zombies would. <laughs> Which For is like, shame. and her comment was, oh, internet. And it's totally true. Like, what, what real zombies? But the zombie anti-defamation league would really like you to know that that is not an accurate depiction of First zombies. First of all, the word zombie is an outdated slur and we should not even be using it. It's offensive. It is. They are the walking dead. <laughs> anyway, go um, on. But fast zombies. The fact that they're these are sort of slow lumbering zombies feels like not only a nice throwback but also appropriate to a long form story like a television series. Yeah. Where and also that they're uh that the zombies are depicted as just they're not they don't have a plan. They don't they're not uh, marauding they're just sort of wandering around looking for flesh m- yeah mindless sort of they're only really dangerous in packs you notice that sort of when it's just one of them they can sort of slowly walk up to it give a tutorial on how you shoot one of them and sure. then shoot them right so it all feels more natural and kind of just how you would come up with strategies to defeat these guys mm-hmm. in a real world context i thought that was really cool right because what they have on their side is you know numbers right yeah. But I also like the um, the detail fairly close to the beginning when the you know the father who's kind of training his son in the zombie ways tells him like you know they can't talk which is of course they don't talk they never they don't talk in any of the other zombie movies either or, right you know, twenty eight days later or whatever like right. fast or slow right but put, I've never I don't think I've ever seen anything that put it that way that's yeah. like that's how you tell that's the marker and I think mm-hmm. that goes to your point of like, yeah it's the distinction of consciousness or non-consciousness yeah. which is there, interesting to there me. was the point where it got to that kind of lost pet peeve where after uh Andrew Lincoln's character woke up and was uh tied to the bed mm. and I kept waiting for him to be like what the fuck is going yeah. on? Tell me in very plain language. And mm-hmm. just, it was that frustration of, I know that the show wants to parcel this out yeah. a little bit by a little bit to keep us on edge. Right. But the fact that the characters themselves aren't like desperate information, for information. Please. Yeah. At least if, if have them ask for it and be denied. So it. I read, I, I, after I watched this, I tracked down the comic yeah. that the, the show is based on and yeah. the comic, the difference, I think, if uh, the comic is the first episode is sort of like an episode in a little bit, sure, and there's quite a bit of difference in so far as stage stages and settings and stuff like mm-hmm. that they use. But the big difference between the comic and the show is the comic gets to it, like gets to everything like that, right yeah. to it. Like in the comic, it starts with, it starts with the car chase. He gets shot. The next frame is him waking up in the hospital. Yeah, in Zombie Town. There's no of that like. That in term his buddy talking to him, which I thought was a mistake in the show as well. Yeah, like it really should have went from being shot immediately to waking, to waking up, up in Zombie Land, yeah. yeah, which they did in the comic. And the first thing uh, that he does when he wakes up from the, the shovel smack from the kid and his father, he's like, right. "What the hell is going on?" Like they do that and they explain everything right away, and yeah. it's like, mm. and and it, it is like the comic addresses all those things that the TV show wants to yeah. sort of hide behind you know maybe they talked about it maybe they didn't but let's right. just suspend you know our, our need for information belief <laughs> right yeah although i guess like the criticism that a lot of people that i felt again i'm going to twitter that a lot of people that i follow that night were saying is like no one in a zombie movie has ever seen a zombie movie you know <laughs> yeah. and yeah. so maybe i you know i sort of maybe was giving 
more credit than you guys are to the producers of sort of saying he accepts it because he has seen a zombie movie. So he's yeah. like, I don't need you to explain what's going on. Well, and I did sort of think of that too. And you know, how would a world that's been trained on zombie movies react to? Well, first of all, they would call them zombies. Yeah, they don't call them. They call them. They always have the these walkers. stupid names for walkers. them. Right. Yeah. yeah. Well, in the in the book, does is there any explanation for like how this happened? Like, did they cover uh, no that more or? than in the first episode of the show. Was well, there any in the first episode of the show? Well, they I don't talk remember. about it in the context of a disease. It's a fever. It's yeah. a, oh, okay. Yeah. So like in 28 Days Later. Yeah, they don't have it. They just don't show the monkey I mean, origin Maybe they scene. get into it, but yeah. yeah. Okay. And it might turn out that that's not correct, that it's just sure. what the assumptions that they're going with, but they talked about it in, they talked about the Centers for Disease Control and that kind of stuff. So they, yeah. that was sort of right, right, right. their working theory, at least. Right. Yeah. It's a good theory. Yeah. In uh, in the in the comic, uh, Halfsey's not really Halfsey. He's just sort of. I think really it's a get lady. Up. It is a lady. In the, yes, in right. the show. That's offensive. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> those those femurs were clearly. And in this the comic, there's, there's no tank scene. Oh, he just goes on his horse. So good. He is that true? Because I, I, that's the thing I thought was most comic. No, he goes off his horse. He falls off, and then it basically goes into what I believe is going to be the second episode of the show. Yeah. Okay. Like the, the voice on the in, at the end of the show with the tank. Yeah, you know, hey, dumbass in the tank. It's the yeah. Asian guy that you see in the yeah, the, yeah, and in, in the, the comic, he's like, he falls down. The Asian guy's like, all right, let's go. Oh, he okay, picks, yeah, he's like, you know, I him. mean, no, like, I've seen television before. I understand that Andrew Lincoln's the lead of that series, <laughs> and I know that he's not going to kill himself in the first episode, right? But just how quickly that happened, and him putting the gun to his head, and him saying, "I'm, uh, I'm sorry, I gave up," and then almost like being lifted up yeah. into the tank by forces, sure, not of his own. I thought that was an incredible scene. I thought it was just. The scene, the really scene effective. between him tracking down Half Z again, yeah, and the uh, and Lenny Dwayne's James. father, yeah, um, you know, trying Unable to draw out his zombified wife. That was really good. That was good. Yes, soundtrack was, was really, really good powerful. there too. They did yeah. a really good job there too. I mean, I, you know, again, I've seen TV before too. So right. even though I didn't read the book, when when the kid looks out and says she's here again, I was like, oh, that's their mom. Yeah. Oh yeah. 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 It was sad. But um, I do enjoy slower zombies than yeah faster zombies there's yeah. something there's something about just that sort of creeping doom about a zombie you know because then it's really just when you have fast running zombies it's just like they have too many advantages then yeah yeah they already have the advantage of numbers like i said if yeah. they all also can chase you down yeah, yeah. And, I mean, I and, thought, and execute strategy yeah <laughs> which, i thought that was a cool change of pace when it happened at the time that sort of that era but it this seems to me well, like the right call to go back to the slow ones yeah with, with a tr- with with a traditional zombie <laughs> it's really when you make mistakes that bad shit happens right and yeah. one of the fast zombies it could you know it's them you know yeah being the clever velociraptor from jurassic park yeah, you know, yeah. clever girl <laughs> you know it's uh it's more like that did you guys know. see uh, this is a really quick tangent but did you guys see that jurassic park the musical when it was online when what? it was being passed around no. it was really really funny yeah? i really enjoyed it if you have a chance to to google that okay huh maybe we should put it in the show notes one other thing that i wanted to mention that i said while we were watching the episode was they they were well before the walking dead premiere like probably a month before uh there was a fan-made credit sequence that was going around online oh i heard about that i never watched it but it it, and it by the time the real walking dead credits came out like there was the the fan-made ones are much much cooler so yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll link to those as well but they really i mean it's sort of it's like an emotion comic style 
with um, images yeah. that are drawn oh, right. from the books. Yeah. And the much better theme song, which I'm sure they could never afford sure. yeah. <laughs> on AMC. Right. But, uh, but yeah, was really set the mood for what you're about to see. Yeah. In, the, in the comic, um, the sheriff kind of looks like Shaggy from Scooby-Doo. <laughs> oh, yeah. He's drawn kind of yeah. way more hick, hickish. Right. And a lot less sort of... Yeah, Andrew know. Lincoln doesn't really read uh, hick... Yeah, at all. Maybe like a Jason. He works. I mean, if I didn't know that, I wouldn't have cared. I know a lot of people seem to be bugged by the the misogyny of that scene with him and his buddy in the car. And his buddy is clearly like espousing his crappy theories about women. Yeah. But... I don't think that we're supposed to approve of that. I was going to say, that that seems fairly obvious. Like the fact that, I mean, obviously, I keep saying Andrew Lincoln because I don't know. I don't remember his name. Is it Hank? I, I don't know. know. It seems like everybody on TV, if the main character is Hank, <laughs> um, or is a character who I don't know their name, but I think it's Nucky. <laughs> Good call. Um, he's obviously go- having going through problems with his wife, and that's probably why he's not. Yeah, the problems are she's a bitch. <laughs> Sorry. When we finally get to meet her, is like, oh, it's it's really almost cruel that they cast that actress that oh, everyone hated so on Prison Break. I liked her on Prison. Oh Break my god, a lot. you were the one. Yeah. You and her mom. Wow, that's I surprising. Her. Yeah. All right. So I'm torn whether I should um, read the comic ahead of the series or mm. read the comic after the series. I'm not yeah. quite sure which is more rewarding. Right. Just why don't you tell Dave in the comics? In the comics? In the comments? That's what I meant to say. <laughs> if you've All read right. the book, well, no anyway. draw comic series. So it was a pretty good. It was, it was a pretty solid premiere. I thought. Yeah. 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 It was and they did great. a good job. And like overall, the, sh- the TV version of that storyline is better than the comic book yeah. version of that storyline. It's definitely more nuanced. And, you know, they obviously have ch- more chance to play with the dialogue in a TV series than do with the comic book. But sure. the pacing seemed with a few mistakes. Like I thought, you know, the abrupt cut from shotgun to coma worked a lot better than what they did in the TV show. Yeah. And, but overall it's like, I'm pretty excited for the rest of the, Oh, yeah. Well, from what I've seen from people that got to see screeners, the second episode is, you know, kind of a come down from the first, which is probably inevitable, but then it it picks back up in episode three. Is this like a full 12, 13 episode season? I'm not sure how many episodes it is. We'll find out. Yeah. So when I got into the comic book thing, I thought, well, I want to track down the comic book because I know people are saying, oh, well, it's different in this way and it's sort of better and worse in points. Yeah. I kind of had this conversation with Tara. I was like, why am I not like that comic book guy? Because I felt like I should other, be. I really should be. Like yeah. I kind of hit all the all the demographic points. People right. do expect you to be too. Yeah, they sort of do and they're kind of surprised what I'm not. And really like I, I I like I've read Watchmen and I've read like The Dark Knight Returns, but that was like pretty much it. Right. You know? Yeah. And so I had like I went back and I like and I remembered this episode in my childhood where my comic book reading started and ended all in the same oh, day God. <laughs> that harrowing day and i thought we would i would tack it on the tack the end of the discussion on this waking dead thing so i started making notes and by oh, the time i was started. done making notes and remembering everything that happened and yeah. everything i was feeling i had like two pages in word of just notes <laughs> you're like don draper and i can't keep track of my <laughs> I, I can't keep tra- <laughs> buying comics this is like a carousel <laughs> So I decided to pre-record everything because there's no way I could get all this stuff right. uh, down in a live podcast. So with apologies for a pre-recorded bit, here is me, why I think I am not a comic person, dating all the way back to when I was six. Wow. <laughs> if things were different, I would have become a comic book person. 
As a child, I certainly fit the bill. I love sci-fi. I love alternative universes, monsters, action, violence, exploration, anything that would fed imagination. I love Star Wars, Superman. I even watched A Wonderful World of Disney on Sunday nights, but I never owned a single comic book. The first problem was that there was no real comic book culture in my hometown. The closest thing we had to a comic book store was an old family-run general store downtown called Tarantino's. And selection was, as I recall, pretty much limited to Archie and back issues of Archie. (laughs) The only steady comic book exposure I got were the color Star Wars comics in the weekend newspaper. And I did enjoy those, and I'm sure they were complete shite. But I was young, and I unconditionally loved anything Star Wars. That was about to change. Now, if you're of a certain age, you may remember the rise of the bargain-minded, air quotes, department store. If you split the difference between today's dollar stores and a Kmart, you'd have these. Back in Canada, they had names like Byway and Herbie's and Bargain Heralds. Now, Bargain Harold's was pretty much the go-to place for back-to-school supplies and clothes and cheap stuff for kids on allowance, like me. So this was about, this would have been late 1978, and Bargain Harold's had these bags of comics that didn't sell at the real comic book stores in the real cities that had them. (laughs) They were five to a pack, and they were sealed in this really thick, opaque blue bag with these tiny little clear windows on the front and the back. They cost a dollar a bag, so we're talking 20 cents a comic. You can only see the front, and you can only see the back comic. So I'm rummaging through the bin, and not having much exposure to comics, everything was unfamiliar. I knew of Batman and Aquaman from watching Super Friends, and Spider-Man was the dude from the electric company to me, but pretty much everything else was a complete mystery. I was flipping through the bin, getting to the back, thinking this thing's a bust, and the very last one, through the little clear window in the blue bag, I see the Star Wars logo. This is 1978. This pretty much represents a sequel to Star Wars. This is a new Star Wars story for somebody that basically was obsessing about Star Wars since he saw it in 77. I grab it, I buy it. I wasn't allowed to open it till we got home, But when we finally got there, I remember running into my bedroom and ripping open the bag. Two Star Wars comics followed. In between these two Star Wars comics, and I remember this as clear as it was yesterday, I remember the disappointment and I remember the disillusionment. Three Scrooge McDuck comics fall to the floor from between the two Star Wars comics. Two Star Wars comics, three Scrooge McDuck comics. Even as a kid, I knew this bag of comics represented like a giant fuck you from Sun Anonymous uh, comic book dealer somewhere. And the fact that it was Scrooge McDuck didn't help. I had just blew basically 60 cents of a really hard-earned dollar, and Scrooge McDuck is diving off his diving board into his pool full of gold coins mocking me. So I was upset. But at least I had the two Star Wars comics and that was something. 
The first one I grabbed was called The Hunted. It had this giant bounty hunter on the cover, all decked out in cool blue space armor. And the copy read, Death and destruction are his tools, and the Star Warriors are his target. Ooh, this is gonna be good. Let's see what else is on this awesome cover. Bounty Hunter, yup, mm-hmm, good. Han Solo, awesome. Luke, yeah. Chewie, <laughs> And then, hey, whoa, there's a green rabbit on the cover. That's weird. He's on the other one too. There's no rabbits in Star Wars. Even as a six-year-old, I didn't like where this was heading. So it turns out that green rabbit, his name's Jackson, that's J-A-X-X-O-N, and he's a space rabbit smuggler with a chip on his shoulder. He's also green, and I should clarify he's not rabbit-like, he's a rabbit. He's a green rabbit in space, in a spacesuit, and he was in both of the comics. I got two Star Wars comics, it was ripped off. I got two Star Wars comics, and they didn't even give me consecutive issues. I got issue number eight and issue number 16, and somehow this green rabbit was in both of them. He had a ship called the Rabbit's Foot. He talked like Bugs Bunny. He really did, he had a line. I'd ask, what's up guys, was one of his lines. He would say things like, you must be eating your space carrots. Talk about getting off your cottontails. I don't want a fucking angry green Bugs Bunny in my Star Wars. (laughs) He's all over the most expensive comic books ever made based on the greatest movie ever made and he's ruining everything. He wasn't funny, he wasn't cool, he didn't do cool shit. He was a green rabbit in Star Wars comic books. That's not cool. He was Jar Jar before Jar Jar. And I wasted a 1970s fortune to buy him (laughs) in three Scrooge McDuck comics. I never trusted comics or Bargain Heralds again. (laughs) Wow, the anger really comes through. (laughs) Why weren't you allowed to open it until you got home? Oh, probably because my mom just didn't want to mess in the car. But I was when I was writing that, I was really getting upset all over the anger again. Was felt clear. on behalf of the six-year-old me. <laughs> that was very this Canadian life. I really liked that. It was uh, a dollar is a, was a lot of money back yeah. then. Yeah, I looked at these comics were originally somewhere between thirty-five and fifty cents. So these are basically half-off comics. Whereas you know it's. You know, it's something you would find in bargain hails, but not know, really but super to give cheap. You, to give kids listening now an idea. I know Henry Bar, which, by the way, in Canada is an amazing chocolate bar, not like the junk they they pass off under don't, this name here. I'm just saying. Don't look at me accusingly like I manufacture I'm sorry, the but candy price. In 1978, a, a chocolate bar in Canada would have been about like a quarter. Mm-hmm. So that's that's a considerable yeah. loss to A you. bag of potato chips was a quarter, too. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So basically, yeah, it was about, yeah, we're talking about, it'd be about $5 now. Did that green bunny turn out to be like a corporate logo for any kind of like, <laughs> like they were sneak, sneakily trying to sell you something? I'm going to put a picture up on the website. Please but, do. Um, I don't have it in front of me now. But he basically looked like the Trix rabbit, but he was painted green. And then... Because of space. 
Right. And then, like, you know, there's this horrible character, and he kind of became an inside joke in later years. Like, people would slip him into other Star Wars stuff in the background <laughs> and make sly references to him and everything. Because oh, he was so hated. Because he was just, like, this really retarded, excuse me, re- stupid character. Right. Um, I never heard of that, though. Yeah. You never really... It's, it's for bad. all the weird Star Wars ephemera that floats around, the stuff about the Christmas special and all that. Yeah, you never yeah. really this hear was, about the for me. This bunny. was this was worse an yeah. experience than seeing the Christmas special for the first time. What year did the Christmas special air? Uh, Seventy-eight. And was it like Christmas special would have been about two months after I bought this comic? Was it like incredibly offensive to the? It was Star just Wars really. Uh, oh God, it's there? so boring. Dull, dull and yeah. plodding, and like there was one. There's like one little cartoon in the whole thing that had like Boba Fett in it, like you know, yeah. before Empire Strikes Back. That yeah, was sort of um, anthropologically interesting, but yeah. not really all that great either. But that yeah. was pretty much it. It was just really long, very unstarved Warsian. Nobody's getting shot and blown up. There's no Tie Fighters. It's just like yeah. you know, it's endless. Wookies on a soundstage, basically. Yeah, we watched and B. It. Arthur. Right. I do remember. I've seen the clip of B. Arthur in it. Yeah. Um. And yeah, we we watched it. We got like a dub from some, yeah. you know, some bootleg that somebody Pre-internet. was selling. Yeah. And definitely the best part of it is the 1978 commercials. Oh, God, I'm yeah. sure. You're amazing. Yeah. yeah. You can be Luke Skywalker. <laughs> <laughs> Not all even the, Star Wars related. Just, yeah, oh, just yeah, the yeah. Toy but, commercials where the kids are like play acting little, like, yeah. you know, extended universe scenes. But from, do you remember there's an ad for like some sitcom that would have been on that? Oh, on yeah. That, and we're like, when, the, when did anyone make a sitcom about flight attendants? Yeah. <laughs> I don't even remember what it was called. That is one of the things we're sort of losing with our uh, with how we're able to just sort of record yeah. as many television shows without commercials. Is yes. We're not going to have those time capsules. No, of, it's true. In 20 years, somebody's mm-hmm. going to be looking at something and being like, Mike and Molly, what Well, the? yeah, except they'll be on YouTube. I mean, you'll have to know, well, what, you, you'll have to know what you're looking for. That certainly is that's, true. That's the difference. You won't yeah. stumble upon it. Right. Well, thank you for indulging me, my pretty party. <laughs> little bit. I do want to, one thing about the uh, O. Henry Candy, candy Bars. <laughs> yes. We all know that the person responsible for American O. Henry Candy Bars is the Brawless Wonder. Is the Brawless Wonder, Suella Mishki. <laughs> so direct all your complaints about that to, to her, her chest. To her chest. <laughs> thank you. All right. Uh, now we have a little uh, segment from, uh, from Joe. We do. Why is this the theme song? Uh, because Joe just really wanted to I wanted to use music. it for something. <laughs> I was I was YouTubing around and I don't know when I came across this, but I immediately posted it on my sister's Facebook wall because it's you can stop at any time. Can I? There was that scene in Mermaids when Winona Ryder is watching the Singing Nun on uh, TV. This was these the singing. This is yeah. the Singing Nun. You, it's in The Simpsons too. Yeah. Wait. What when Simpsons? Milhouse's girlfriend goes to Catholic oh, school. Oh, right. Yes. Yeah. So French Canadian Catholics. Nuts. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. So for the amount of times that my sister and I would watch Mermaids, uh, I. Anyway, I thought it was hilarious. I used and to I know all the words. I something. used to know all the words of that song because we sang really? it when I went to French oh, school, see? French Catholic school. Do you still know yeah. it? That's no. awesome. Yeah. Anyway, so you this is try? no. <laughs> that's <laughs> as much as I know as what's in that Simpsons episode. Nuts. All right. Um, obviously, that's the introduction to uh, my list of favorite blousy, brassy, blonde <laughs> actresses, naturally as it were. This is something that we we, we realized, I, I don't know, you but probably a year. You sort of figured it out. Yeah. Uh, yes. I have this sort of uh, uh, collection of sort of pet actresses that I that I support and I root for, and I wish they would get more work. 
You um, advocate for them hypothetically being cast as this or that. And one of them now, it worked for, because clearly it's like the secret maybe, I don't yeah, know, that yes, I, that it yes. worked for Busy Phillips because it she sure ended did. up on Cougar Town. And finally, everybody is appreciating her to the degree that I feel like she should be appreciated because mm-hmm. she's uh, fantastic. Mm-hmm. Um, but prior to that was your love of Ari Grainer. Ari Grainer, who I had first seen in Nick and Nora's Infinite Playlist, which... Mm-hmm. Brought her the attention of quite a quite a number of people because that was a yes. fairly mainstream movie, and she was sort of the featured supporting player in that. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's this scene where she's in the uh, Port Authority. She's drunk. The whole they're out on the town, and she's drunk, and they lose her, and she ends up in the Port Authority in New York, and she approaches a dazed. Uh, is it Kevin Corrigan? Is his name the actor? Probably. Um, and uh, this is the uh, the turkey scene. Hi, I'm Caroline. What's your name? You know what, that's okay, you don't have to tell me. It's been like one of those nights, you know? I was with my friend Nora, who you don't know, but you really like her because everybody likes Nora, and she left me tonight, which is, she never does that, and then I was kidnapped. And then she, usually when I go home with her, she... She makes me a turkey sandwich when I get home, but I might never get home, you know? I'm so tired. (laughs) Is that a turkey sandwich? (laughs) (laughs) Like, the mere mere audio doesn't even do it justice, because she's so... Just the look on her face is hysterical, and she's she's so happy to see that turkey sandwich. I mean, I thought that movie was so-so, but she is the best thing in it. For she's sure. amazing and i immediately like walked out of that theater and started like typing up insane newsletter manifestos <laughs> just like cast ari grainer in things um and then it seems like the universe is almost mocking me now because she's in a ton of movies for a grand total of like six seconds mm-hmm, in like all of whip them. it like whip it even though she was featured in the trailer and i was like oh cool she was gonna be you know she was, i thought she was gonna was be a presence uh she's in remember she's in date night did you see date night with tina fey and uh, steve carell yes and she's in for like one scene and who date was night. she in date night she's somebody i think wasn't steve carell like a realtor or something wasn't uh or no tina fey's a realtor, she's a realtor. and she and her husband are looking to buy a home and her husband uh, was played by somebody too uh, and now i can't think of it but uh, it was just that one scene and it was just like I totally forgot about it as you would because it's just so brief she but was in a play this year was she in a play? I don't know. She was in a that. play with Jack, with Zach Braff. Right. And I didn't get to see it. And mm-hmm. I feel bad. But I feel like my ad- advocacy is more sc- uh, big screen based. Yes. So I can live with that. Mm-hmm. Um, but she was in Youth and Revolts too briefly. She's She pops up on Fringe every once in a while, mm. although uh, less so lately. Um, and now they actually, this week's episode, they had a line about... Uh, her character living in Chicago, getting married and living in Chicago, which seemed to me like a way of being like, don't expect to see yeah, her. Brenda moved to Europe. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. And apparently, uh, I looked up on IMDb, she's in that movie Conviction with Hilary Swank. Oh, yeah. But she's so far down the IMDb list, like... You're not going to see that. You're anyway. not going to see her, so... No, I mean, you're not going to see her, because you're not going to watch that movie. No, I'm certainly not going to no. watch that movie. Um, but I wish she was in more things. Because um, it did work for Busy Phillips... You watch Cougar Town, obviously. I sure do, yeah. So you know how funny she is. Well, she—I mean, she's been playing that character since since Freaks and Geeks. She's kind of honed her to uh, yeah. Perfection. She doesn't have a huge amount of range, but she's no but that what, we've seen. Right. I shouldn't rule that out. Well, but, but what she, she also like she, she was in that show the same season that the same TV season that Leslie Grossman was blowing people's minds. 
Unpopular. Unpopular. And so I feel like the three of them are like on the continuum of like your girls. Right. We'll play we, the, we really want to see them play sisters in a movie. Yeah. We'll play the clip from Popular. You'll see how fantastic Leslie Grossman is. Richard, what are you babbling about? Oh, I'm no babbling Brooke, hun. Just a lady who needs to fess up. I lied about my secret. It's actually more shocking and scandalous than all yours combined. I slept with Josh, too. And Joe. At the same time. Hey, I'm not like that. Shut your dirty whore mouth, player player! Okay, wait a minute. Who the hell is Joe? But two menfolk could not satisfy my carnal cravings. That's why Lily slept with two. I did not! Oh, stop lying, little Lily! So that was Mary Cherry. Mm Mm-hmm. Possibly one of the greatest television characters that not enough people have seen. Because that yeah. show was so brief. I didn't even watch that show until well after the fact. Mm-hmm. But that was Ryan Murphy. Yeah. Of, you know, who everybody's seen on Glee. Mm-hmm. And I feel like, I was talking about this with somebody else this week, that whenever it seems like Glee is trying to emulate popular, those are the parts that I don't think it works. And I'm not sure whether it's just that they don't have the right cast members. Like, they don't have a Leslie Grossman in that cast besides Jane Lynch, who's really able to, like, pull off that kind of insane comedy. Right? Yeah, I guess. They're all, you know, good singer, performer types. Mm-hmm. But, and I think that's where the show tends to be strongest. But right. they could use a blousy, brassy <laughs> blonde from my collection. Yes. <laughs> but so after. That really makes it seem like <laughs> you <laughs> have them locked up yeah, in your basement. That's not good. No, no. not even that you're a pimp. <laughs> that, <laughs> that, no, that you've collected the way I picture it you... is Joe's got him in giant sort of glass. Jars, yeah. You know, like you guys. Uh, I was covers. picturing them pinned up like butterflies. Let's let's you know? not speculate. Let's not. Let's come on. <laughs> They're somewhere. That is grist for the rumor mill. They're that's ugly. working, probably. <laughs> <laughs> but so this all sort of came into relief after we saw Easy A. Yeah. Because I. Ali Machalka. That's the one who was also in Hellcats, the star of Hellcats, um, and was part of that (laughs) Ellie and AJ group on Disney Channel that I always heard of and never really knew who they were. Um, They have a song on lips that I've never tried. Yeah, me neither. Not worth it. Um, But she was very clearly trying very hard. She was to break into that kind of character type that I really usually respond to, but she failed so spectacularly at Mm -hmm. it that. It was embarrassing, I'm going to say. I felt yeah. embarrassed for her. Yes. Particularly when you're up there opposite like an Emma Stone mm-hmm. or uh, Patricia Clarkson or everybody right. else in that movie who was really bringing it. And yeah. she was just efforting so hard that it was... Mm-hmm. But it led to this conversation of uh, why, what group she couldn't break into. So, yep. as I said, right now the pantheon is this. It's Ari Grainer, it's Busy Phillips, <laughs> and it's Leslie Grossman. <laughs> Not a collection, nothing creepy. Uh-huh. Um, but if you, if an actress wants to break into that uh, exclusive sorority, let's say, mm-hmm. you need to bring it harder than Ellen. Well, we'll I think I think it's fair to say we'll be keeping an eye out for anyone who's who's really qualified to join to join the group. Yeah. So that yes. when it does and if happen, readers because readers want to suggest, because we and we can perhaps uh, evaluate. Uh, sure applicants accordingly sure i need to i need to mention really quick because i was looking at uh, ari grainer's imdb listing to see what movies she was not going to be featured prominently enough in in the future <laughs> yeah and there's this one set for next year called what's your number and it's 
it seems like Anna Ferris is the female lead and that she's going through basically going through ex-boyfriends, but I need to read you the list of ex-boyfriends she's going through. Uh, Chris Evans, Zachary Quinto, Ryan <laughs> Phillippe, uh, Mike Vogel, Matthew Bomer, Joel McHale, Come on. Andy Samberg, Chris Pratt, David Annable, and uh, I don't know if Thomas Lennon is playing, probably not playing an ex-boyfriend, but play- Who's somebody. the second to last one? David Annable. He's, he's one of the guys on Brothers, Brothers and, and Sisters. Sisters. I thought you said audible. <laughs> Calling an audible. Anyway, though, that's a collection of dudes. Yeah. Right there. Yep. I, I'm not saying that alone is going to get me to see the movie, but that mm-hmm. plus Anna Ferris and Ari Grainer certainly will. Yeah. I mean, I just wish it was Ari Grainer at the top. Well, of Anna Ferris. Yeah. She deserves her shot. She, and Anna Ferris is really overrated. Yeah, okay. I like her. Uh oh. Yeah. I do. Let's not have this fight. Let's not have this fight on the podcast. No, this is not, in front this of is the, not the time. Not in front of the listeners. Anyway. I want to see that movie. Hey, Tara, Dave, and Joe, this is Matt, and I would like to submit an episode to the canon. Now, I know you've been focusing mostly on contemporary television, but I thought I would go a little further back, and I've gone with an episode from the great British series from the 70s and my personal favorite show, Faulty Towers. Now, the obvious choice... I think would be the Germans, but instead I've gone with my favorite episode, Communication Problems. Uh, I really love this episode because the, the story sort of focuses on this guest in the hotel, Mrs. Richards, who is this horrible old woman, and for Basil Fawlty, who's a character that really just <laughs> hates everybody that comes into the hotel, uh, aside from doctors and dignitaries, um, what, what, what better fuel to his fire than this old cantankerous woman who can't hear very well and just wants everybody's time all the time. And throughout the episode, there's all these great exchanges and, and sort of uh, miscommunications and uh, classic Faulty Towers mix-ups. And you really see Basil Fawlty push the limits, and he, I think he gets more angry in this episode, more frustrated in this episode than he does in any other ones. And by the end, he basically has a nervous breakdown and it's great. Um, I think that he, he's so, Basil's sort of a jerk, and, but he's a likable jerk because he's so funny. And on the other hand, Mrs. Richards is is just horrible. She's not really likable in any way. So it's great to see Basil sort of rip on her and just, oh, he's just absolutely horrible to her. And you sort of cheer him on as he does it. So in two minutes, that's my reason for choosing this episode. Thanks. All right. So, first of all, yay for our first user submitted canon. Yes. yes. Thank you. Thank Very you, exciting Matt. and well, well recorded. Very Indeed. professional. Um, now, we don't have Matt here to defend him, but luckily he has a champion with this episode with me because this is, this is a good one. It and is he's right. One. It's not the first episode you think of as far as Faulty Towers goes. It's not the obvious choice. It's no. not the, the uh, most visual, the most brash. It's not the one where all the sound clips come from. But it really has a lot of pieces of the puzzle that really exemplify the best of Faulty Towers. Like, yeah. to me, Basil Faulty is this, he, he's sort of almost this tragic figure that really has an understanding and appreciation for the social contract, but is never able to um he goes about everything in a way that sort of destroys everything around him like he's 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 very 
Go ahead. You got it. I was just going to say that's true to a point. He, yeah. he, but he's a, it's, it's the social contract asset, but it's also that he's such a social climber too. Yeah. And so he's always it's so sycophantic to anyone, like Matt said, unless it's a dignitary or a doctor. Like Basil just thinks not only everyone who crosses his path mm-hmm. is beneath him, but anyone who would stay in his hotel is like yeah. by that. If they're there, it means they're trash. Yeah. Social contracts are wrong, the wrong phrase. He's he, He's got a very sort of old school British view of how society works. Sort yes. of, you know, like there's, there's sort of a, um, a tip your hat to your betters sort of, you know, yes. um, you know, uh, philosophy about him. Of course. But and his problems... he doesn't know his station in life. Obviously. Exactly. Well, but I think he does. And that's what causes a lot of the tension that well, he's, he puts, yeah. he, he is, he's insecure. So when this guest, Mrs. Richards, comes in and she's like uh, all, nearly deaf mm-hmm. and um, she is basically, you know, demanding everything of everybody in the hotel <laughs> and, and piled on, on top of that, she's misunderstanding everything and they're misunderstanding her interpretation of everything. So here's, here's a scene. Um, it's Mrs. Richardson complaining about her hotel room uh, inside the room to uh, Basil Fawlty. I asked for a room with a view. Deaf, mad, and blind. Uh, this is the view as far as I can remember, madam. Yes, yes, this is it. When I pay for a view, I expect something more interesting than that. That is Torquay, madam. It's not good enough. Well, may I ask what you were expecting to see out of a Torquay hotel bedroom window? <laughs> Sydney Opera House, perhaps? The hanging gardens of Babylon? Herds of wildebeest sweeping majestically? I expect to be able to see the sea. You can see the sea. It's over there between the land and the sky. I need a telescope to see that. Well, may I suggest that you consider moving to a hotel closer to the sea? Or preferably in it. Right. <laughs> Yeah, you can really tell too that like she has a super posh accent too. So that I, I think the episode would read differently to British people than it does to us. Yeah. Well, and Cleese has a really uh, great way of expressing sort of uh, thunderous rage in that really <laughs> clipped British way, where you yeah. can tell like it's all like he's stopping just short of actually letting it out. But mm-hmm. uh, his his delivery is very funny. It's really why House should, again, House should be British on House because yeah. he is Basil Fawlty yeah. as, a, as a doctor. <laughs> yeah, let's not get, go down that one. That's no, a, that's a whole topic let's for another, another time. But you know what I mean? Like, it's that same, it's part of that tradition of, you know. Yeah. And, and this also has, you know, a little taste of everything else that makes Fawlty Towers Fawlty Towers to me, including oddly enduring racism <laughs> yeah you sure know like there's something about the racism at faulty towers that they get a pass on somehow like i don't know how they're doing it and like it's a little uncomfortable certainly yeah but there's something <laughs> there's some quirk in it that i can't quite put my finger on that takes the edge off it that makes it okay you know necessarily <laughs> obviously one of these this is mid late 70s Set, mid i think yeah so you know a long time ago but, uh, but you know, it has, its, it has its moments of uh, a little cringe. Cringe if you're with somebody, laugh if you're not moments. Right. <laughs> <laughs> you can be racist on your own time, guys, Well, and right? it sort of felt that way, too, with uh, just all the the jokes about his battle axe wife in a way that... If I find out the money on that horse was yours, you know what I'll do, Basil? I'll have to sew him back on first. 
There's a whole subplot in this in this in this episode about where he's about. trying to keep the money that he won uh, on betting on the horse away from his wife, who is now I've never I've never seen Faulty Towers. This was the first I've ever seen of it. Wow, but they, it is that really, true? Yeah. Oh, you hmm. should watch. Well, it. it sort of fits into my like Faulty Towers was. Uh, the show your uh, your cooler friends would make you feel bad about never having watched before The Wire came along. Jeez, sorry. Uh, <laughs> I'm just surprised. No, I, I sort of have a track record with this kind of thing is what I'm trying to say, uh-huh. where I just... Joe is a lot younger than that. <laughs> I know, but I just, I feel like it, The Faulty Towers was so ubiquitous on PBS. Yeah, yeah no, that's true. Yeah, um, but I just thought that this one episode gave, uh, it was... It didn't take long to sort of realize the dynamics. Yeah, this episode isn't as manic as a lot of the episodes are. Like you I were talking it was about, pretty manic. Yeah, and it gets it, there, it gets. There's one with the construction crew. Yeah, doing and and oh, uh, such John Cleese gets so angry. Like like yeah. you can see his his he turns beat red. He starts shaking yeah. his fist at the sky. <laughs> yeah. He's just like so impotent in in the face of everything that's going wrong. Yeah, well, it's that's, like that's, this episode to the tenth. That's what the that's what the show is basically. Like right. he gets he gets angry all the time, but he's never yeah. he's never ever vindicated. Well, and I feel like even <laughs> it, spoiler, <laughs> <laughs> but even in like the episode title, it's what's communication problems. Is that the yep. episode? Is that it's so much like the template of what we see in the next two decades of comedy in terms of. Uh, communication problem storyline and miscommunication storylines and it sort of goes back to the my thing with police squad which is like this is as a historical document this is fantastic but i kept being so nagged by uh just sort of the basicness of it the Mm. uh we've seen so much of this before of it that i wasn't able to because this was the first time i was ever watching it i wasn't able to uh fully appreciate it i guess um, Faulty Towers is is one of those character driven shows that really gets yeah. better the more episodes you watch for sure. Yeah. I mean it's 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 really good that way. And this is also the first episode of the second season, so you know uh-huh. there's it assumes a familiarity with the characters, perhaps. And this too. went how many episodes? Uh, two seasons of six episodes. Right. right. I would also I, I agree it's definitely character driven, but I would also say that the its plots can get a lot more intricate in that sort of like farcical way yeah. that, that, you know, shows like Treats company. <laughs> well, f- yeah, that's a bad example. Yeah. Like, you know, Frasier is kind of a punchline now, but like the, like yeah, a yeah, great yeah. episode of Frasier yeah. where, you know, there's, it's like one setting and crazy shit happens. Well, and, and even when, uh, Dave mentioned the, the stuff about the social contracts and that kind of thing, it made me think of Seinfeld in the way that that show had such great insights into. Yes. That and also how it was plotted, like stuff stuff was set up, and then yes. it all, you see how it was how it all braids together at the yeah. end. You know, I mean, I know it's kind of like cliche to point to Seinfeld as being the quintessential comedy, but I think it holds up because of that because everything is structured so well. Mm-hmm. And you did see some of that in Faulty Towers. Yeah, Faulty Towers to me is is, is definitely one of the classic comedy series of all time. Absolutely. It's sort of you know it's sort of like the. Uh, the Monty Python you can watch with your parents. Because so <laughs> uh-huh. it's not really, so weird. Yeah, because it's not so Because it has bizarre. a plot. It's grown up Monty Python, sort of. Yes. You know, it and has I, a lot of the same sensibilities, but it's structured. Yeah. And and I also would just like to say the other thing I loved about this episode, it has a lot of um, great interaction with Basil and Polly, yep. who's played by his... Ex-wife. Well, Ex-ex-ex-ex-wife. I, I think at this point, yeah, they got divorced like at some point over the course of the series, yeah. Connie Booth, but she, um, she and he wrote it together. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so she's that she's the main. Yeah. 
and uh, I, I loved her, and I was always sad. She never, she didn't really work that much after that. No, not um, really. Yeah. Although I guess if you have John Cleese divorce, divorce money, money, you don't need to work anymore. <laughs> that's like a little probably. cottage industry. That's true. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> All right, so uh, thumbs up for me for for this one. Um, yeah, it you, might not have been my episode choice for Faulty Towers. It's hard to pick a bad one from Faulty Towers. That's true. But I think this one's good. It really has a lot of illustrative points in this, and he's he's right that like this is. Uh, a fantastic foil for 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 uh, Basil Fawlty because she is sort of like the immovable immovable object because her hearing just really stops his stops mm-hmm. him in his tracks. It's really interesting. Yeah, if I had to pick a favorite, it'd probably be where he hits his head. But this is also yes. a great one, and I'm gonna I'm gonna vote it into. The hitting his head is the German one. Yes. Yes. Right. Yeah. Also, a good one is Waldorf salad. That's the other one I was gonna say with the Americans. Yeah. Or the American. Yeah. Who is the uh, the general on Hoth in Empire Strikes Back? Exactly. Well, how about that? Yeah, General Rankin. Interesting. A little bit of trivia. <laughs> All right, so thumbs up for me, yeah, Joe. Thumbs up. I'm going to give it a qualified thumbs down. I'm glad it's making it in, but I it was just sort of short of being really funny to me. Yeah. So, so I'm sorry, that's a thumbs down? That's a thumbs down. Thumbs down, uh-oh. And Tara? I, thumbs up. All right. And you should watch it. It's. I, I, I know I, you have a very long list of shit you need to catch up on. <laughs> but that's going on. But, th- I mean, there's only, there's only 11 more episodes total right. for you to watch. Yeah. yeah. That's a nice. That's a nice. And this one was. You can on have YouTube, a marathon so tomorrow, during the marathon. Hey, the can we have New a little City inside marathon. baseball? <laughs> Wordsmith, I love it. Can we have a little in, on-air in, inside baseball conversation? Yes. I forgot the I forgot the rules for the canon. Is it unanimous? <laughs> no, it's got to be uh, two thirds. It's a two. It's, it's a two thirds. It's two thirds. Okay. Simple well, majority. in that case. Congratulations to the first episode of the second series <laughs> of Faulty Towers Communication Problems. You are now part of the Extra Hot Great Canon. You know, I have to say, if we if we don't let in the user submitted ones, p- users are not going to submit. <laughs> <laughs> but I stand by my vote. That was not that was not strictly pandering to our listeners. I, that Dear a- Mr. President, there are too many states nowadays. Please eliminate three. I am not a crackpot. This time once again for I am not a crackpot, and I think this is definitely the most <laughs> I am a crackpotty of our I am not a crackpot segments. Tara, <laughs> I have crackpottier things than this. Uh-huh. I um, this boils down to one simple statement, which is I don't trust season pass on my DVR. We don't have a TiVo, but the uh, the equivalent for your Time Warner thing is you know you can set a whole season to record on your sh- on your shows i don't trust it so i go through every night i set i set each individual day's dvr recordings individually with a little buffer on each side with a li- not for every show but if i know that they start early or run late i i have i've seen you add three error, minutes on each side often. sometimes i do if it starts at an odd time like if you know like a like an it's always sunny in philadelphia or if it goes to eleven thirty one. yeah I'll go 1134 because you don't know. Who can blame you? Community always cuts off that tag. At well, the that's end the thing. That Troy. So here's here's my pro tip for everyone out there. And this is not a crackpot. This is smart because uh, I told this to a friend of mine recently. and She was like, you just changed my life. Instead of recording each of the NBC, the three good NBC sitcoms, <laughs> which conveniently are all air one, two, three in a block, um, set community. So wait, outsourced? And then what else? <laughs> The single guy and Veronica's closet. Start your recording of community at, as normal and then set it to end 
two hours after the end of Community. And so the end, you'll get extra on the end, but all of those shows were, will record as a block, and then you never get anything cut off of any of them. Because The Office always runs long, too. It's, yeah. it's set to end at 11... At, Anyways. At 9.31. My point is... It's a whole process, and so we have two DVRs. So I have like, I also have strings of like which shows I'll watch under what circumstances. <laughs> so I have shows that I record in the living room that I only pay like semi attention to, like your late night shows sure. or like the you know I don't record every episode of Oprah, but when I do, right? Um, and like Hoarders and Top Gear and shows like that where it's you know, and then. So then, after I've set the living room DVR, I have what Dave calls my nerd book, mm-hmm. where I write down <laughs> everything that's set. If to you'd imagine, here, so it and is. Then, a, wait, 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 it is like codes and it is not. short forms and times and it's all in the grid. And it's directed it's by Samuel Bear. These little notes in the margin do not believe his lies. <laughs> You're just exaggerating now. You're being silly. <laughs> there's my nerd book. It's right there. You can see it. It looks totally yes. normal. No, it doesn't. Yes, it does. Well, there's like 18 I mean, it's not normal of- the fact that I've... No, I don't save them. I just rip off each page off the pad when I finish mm-hmm. with it. She mails them to select celebrities. Well, in your defense, you did title put this segment under I Am Not a Crackpot, which Look, implies that you are a crackpot, which I, you are, because this is nuts. I love TV. Yes, you do. And I want to enjoy every minute of it. And and stuff has conflicts, and you don't know until later, and sometimes well, stuff needs to be juggled around, and you need to record the you know the West Coast airing of this or that on cable. Right. Like, well, and if I may uh, alleviate some of your crackpottiness. <laughs> Thank you, only Joe. I have a notepad file on my computer that I keep from season to season, the yes. list of television shows that I want to record. But you use series manager, and if I I'm not mistaken, last manager. week when Community was on at 8.30. Community got bumped to 8.30 because yep. of something called... Scared Shrekless. Thank you. Scared mm-hmm. Shrekless. Yep. Insert my frowny face. Which I did not record. Uh with all apologies to Dave, that's bullshit. Um, because then all of a sudden, because Community wasn't on at the right time, it did right. not pick it up and it did not record. That, that also happened to me with Raising Hope, where it started at an odd time and it didn't Yes, it always uh, starts late because of me. Glee. Because of Glee. Because they add an extra minute to Glee, because God right. forbid! Well, because the alternative to that is... If I set a show to record all epi- uh, all episodes and not the one that's just restricted to the ones that start at nine o'clock, yeah. Uh, then if I'm recording, like say a cable show, right, I get every episode of the Real Housewives of Atlanta that air right. all that week, right. So I mean, obviously, series hope, manager fucks you, and then you come home it's, from being visiting your sister for three days, and your DVR is one hundred percent full. Yes, that was a... Uh, that happened this week. That, that's so That shocking. happened. That was a that Like, was my a hands are sweaty thinking about 100% full. <laughs> I did not like it. No, that's a frightening I really prospect. Didn't. I almost, I'm, and I love sleep almost as much as I love TV, but I, and I <laughs> thought right. about staying right, up right. late, well, too. It's true that, you, that, that this is a well-thought-out, <laughs> beneficial... <laughs> Plan for it. Oh, I don't have the energy for this charade. <laughs> Look, you watch the TV too. It's not like just because you don't like how the sausage gets made doesn't mean someone doesn't have to make it. That's true. 
Well, Why Tara, you, you have definitely up? proven that you are not a crackpot. <laughs> hey, it's Quinn with Quinn's No Middle Ground. So rather than go on again about how fantastic Deborah Winger is in, in treatment, I want to talk about something else that happened this week that was very special, and that was the San Francisco Giants winning the World Series uh, with the help of Tim Lincecum, who is the best pitcher in the game right now. And there's that saying that great pitching wins games, and I think that was very true watching this series. Uh, Brian Wilson, of course, brilliant. Um, just to pause for a second and give a shout-out to my new boyfriend, Buster Posey, and before anyone goes off and called Child Protective Services. I have checked on the internet. He is 23 years old. <laughs> so anyway, back to Tim Lincecum. Tim Lincecum, uh, you are brilliant. Your pitching was accurate, precise, smart, and it was a joy, absolute joy to watch. Uh, I love baseball. My favorite thing about baseball is is, is pitching and to see uh, a great pitcher in action. I and mean, there's very few things in life that are as, as, as good as that. And uh, I'm very, very happy that the San Francisco Giants won. And I'm happy for Tim Lincecum because I, I think he's, he's brilliant. And so no middle ground, Tim Lincecum, best uh, pitcher in the game right now. And the, the phenomenal watching him. And congratulations to the San Francisco Giants. I never in a hundred million years would have guessed that Quinn was a baseball fan. There is no escape from baseball even after it ends. You cannot escape from baseball oh, even on a... So, I have baseball, I will destroy you. Well, I think Quinn's watching it for his own reasons and for... I also... Can I say, Quinn, that was really underhanded of you to sneak in your claim on Buster Posey on our little segment before I even had a chance to do it myself. That is the most accidentally filthy-sounding name of a baseball player I Buster think I've Posey. ever heard. Oh, my God. <laughs> All right. So it's time for... I think we have a little, had a, maybe a little sneak preview of things to come by the sounds of it. But it's time for winner and loser of the week. And even though I promised Joe I would have a theme song ready... Oh, no. I do not. So it goes oh. to Tara for oh. the theme song. Quick. Winners and losers. A duet. <laughs> All right, Joe, uh, we're starting off with you, and I believe you have a loser. I have the loser of the week. Uh, you'll notice we didn't talk about the big release uh, movie of the week, Due Date, because we didn't see Due Date. We because, didn't want to. Uh, we didn't want to. I, my reason being that I hated The Hangover a lot. Um, so, But the director of both The Hangover and Due Date, Todd Phillips, is my choice for Loser of the Week because he was a really big dick in about half dozen interviews that he gave this week promoting his movie, one with Movie Line, where he started off the bat uh, saying this website is the worst and that you just hate every movie and basically being a whiny baby about some slight that happened to him. Second one uh, that struck my attention being one with Cinema Blend, where he, again, right off the bat, um, asked the interviewer, what are you, a Puritan? Because uh, they mentioned the mean streak uh, of some of the characters in the movie. And basically, again, being a whiny baby about people maybe possibly not liking his movie as much <laughs> as he wanted it to. So, loser of the week, Todd Phillips. <laughs> Winner of the week, relatedly, is Dave Holmes, who everyone should follow on Twitter, at Dave Holmes. Um, he, uh, he pointed out the, again, movie line related, the terrible, lame headline that they put on their review of Due Date, which was, fine performances from Downey, Galifianakis can't bring Due Date to term. <laughs> so, he put up on his Tumblr, which I'll link to, other headlines movie line was considering for that Due Date review, and I'm just going to... I'll just read two and then you can go to his site and read the rest and you should subscribe to his blog because he's great. Yes. 
Robert Downey Jr. and Zach Galifianakis should have used mirth control on due date. <laughs> and due date is crying because it needs to be fed. It's your turn to get up and feed it. I did it last time and I have to go get some sleep. We agreed. We agreed, Kevin. So for the other three, I will link in the show notes and go check it out. Dave yeah. Holmes is great. He's oh, that's awesome. <laughs> All right, guys, you know what time it is? I think so. It's game time. And for this week's game time, it is user submitted. What? That's right. User submitted. This week, we're going to be talking about bum, 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 80s movie music. Mm. Oh, Jesus. Here is what you have to do. You will be buzzing in when you want to. You will choose a number, 1 to 18. I have 18 clips. When you... Want to answer, you will buzz in. You will name the song, the artist, and the movie for up to three points each. If you do not get all three, it passes the other person for your sloppy seconds. So you can't get partial credit. You can. If you answer one, the other person can answer the other two. Okay, I see. If you get all three, you get all three. Okay. Okay. Do we all understand? Yes. Oh, look at they're nervous. (laughs) I don't have a good feeling. We should probably let let the listener know whose buzzer sounds like what. (laughs) Okay. Uh, Joe will be buzzing in with. And Tara will be buzzing in with. Oh, okay. Got that? I have That's... a higher pitched buzzer because I have a higher pitched voice. That's more for me. All right. So we're going to start with Joe this week. And Joe, you pick one to 18. I'm going to pick number nine. Number nine. Are you ready? Number yes. Nobody, we're passing on this I one. Can't. Nobody got it. That was a hard one to start off. Oh, Tara buzzed in. Beverly Hills Cop? Incorrect. <gasps> can't, I have no guess. All right, that was from The Wizard. That was Paul, oh. Paul Carrick, uh-huh. also lead singer of Mike and the Mechanics. Sure. And oh. I believe The Squeeze, I think, where he has something to do with The Squeeze. And that song was Live by the Groove. You probably could have got that point if you listened oh, to the thing. Oh, yeah. Mm. All right. All right. Tar. I'm going to keep that in mind. Um, five. So just, sorry to interrupt. Just because Tara chose this question doesn't make, doesn't preclude me from buzzing in ahead of her? No. Okay. She's just choosing the number. Okay. Are five. you both ready? Yes. Yep. Joe. This would be uh, Holiday Road by Lindsay Buckingham, uh, National Lampoon's Vacation. Damn, Lindsay Buckingham. Yep. Three points for yeah, Joe. Yeah, you did. Yep. A reminder that uh, you are keeping your own scores this game. Yes. All right. Joe, it's your turn to pick, right? Uh, I'm going to choose number 17. The Spread Eagle. <laughs> Total guess. Ruthless people. Incorrect. I have no guess. That was also the other one of the hard ones. That was from Scarface. That was Deborah Harry, Rush Rush. That did not sound like Scarface at all. Or Deborah Harry. (laughs) (laughs) So these are all, just just to remind you, these are all, you know, 80s movie music. Yeah. Yeah. Basically, these are all made for the movies that they're in or made famous by the movies that are in. They're not just happen to be on the soundtrack. Okay, for the last one, I would say famous in quotation marks. 
I, I left I left a few harder ones in. All right, okay. what's next? Okay. What number's next? Um, twelve. Ooh. Oh not, no. You're gonna get the song, but I doubt you're gonna get oh, anything no. else. Okay. Don't you know? Don't you know? You got it all over him. You got me over. That sounds. That song is familiar to me. Don't you know? Don't you know? You got it all over him. You got me over him, honey. Too. I'm gonna There's guess mannequin. You must have been heaven sent. Tara, do you wish me to... Call you She's trying to get to the little title. You've got it all. You've all over him, let's say. Oh, close. The song is You Got It All by the Jets from... Prepare to have your mind blown. Jaws the Revenge. No. <laughs> <laughs> the love theme from Jaws the Revenge. Yeah. All right. Next number. Um, Two. Uh. Uh, that would be The Power of Love by Huey Lewis in the News and Back to the Future. Quick with the buzzer pays off. I'm, Joe I'm gonna, with three There's points. no way I'm winning this game. <laughs> All right, next. Um, uh, 15. Oh, um, okay, that's uh, Don't You Forget About Me. By Echo and the Bunny Men. Mm. Oh, for the do I get to yeah, say keep the movie? Going. Breakfast Club. Sim- Joe, do you wish to? Is it Simple Minds? Mm. Yes, it is. Oh, it is. Like, disregard that. <laughs> I almost said Simply Red, and two it, but points, I knew that was two wrong. points for Tara, one point for Joe on that oh one. God, at least one All right, board. what's next, guys? Um, I'm gonna say number one. Bonnie Tyler? Mm. All right. That was the only guess I had. I have no idea what song title or movie. Yeah. <sighs> Top Gun? Mm. I don't know. That was from Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure, Big Pig, I Can't Break Away. I believe that's probably a song performed by the Wild Stallions in the movie, I'm uh, guessing. Oh, okay. All right, next one. Um, Ten. Is that from Ferris Bueller's Day Off? Now, as to the song title and artists, never happening. No, yeah. Oh, I have no idea. I was gonna say, can I hear more of it? But it sounds like that wouldn't make a difference. No, not really. Um, I believe the song is. Yeah, the song is called "Love Missile F One Eleven." I was totally just. And the group is. I think I put it down wrong, but it's something something Spudnik. That was oh, six six Spudnik. Right, six six Spudnik. Yes. All right, next one. Um, 11. All right. Is it a techno remix of Red River Valley? Ooh. Well, that's what it's, the music is from, but it's probably something else that they created uh, from uh, it. Uh, keep a, do all three, and we'll, <laughs> we'll, 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 this is a, this is hard. Go to ahead, judge. Joe. You're going to win this game anyway. I have no idea what to guess for the other two things. Okay, so that was the song title you guessed. Sure. And you said Red what? River Valley. 
It's close, but it's not the right answer. Uh, the song called Red River Rock by the Silicon Teens from Planes, Trains, and Automobiles. Oh, no. I knew it was. Oh, I, could, uh. I, I knew I knew it, but I couldn't place it. <laughs> All right. What's next, guys? Ooh, sorry. Jeez. Sorry. Um, lucky number seven. Okay, S- song title is Touch Me Parentheses All Night Long uh, by Kathy Dennis. Yeah. From? Um, it's a tough one. Parenthood. Samantha Fox? That's what I thought too when I first heard it. It is Touch Me and uh, from the author in, in with an asterisk beside it, not the Kathy Dennis version. Oh! This is the original version. Kathy, I looked it up after. Yeah. Kathy Dennis rewrote a few lines, or somebody rewrote a few lines from her. Yeah. Because this uh, had some lines in it originally, uh, I believe, pertained to Nightmare in Elm Street Part 2. No <laughs> way! That's hysterical. It's scene, okay, the all night long part. There's a sense scene that. where this really nerdy kid yeah. is dancing by himself in his bedroom, and I believe that is what right. this is from. All right, what do you got? Um, 13. It is? Is it from Purple Rain? Ah. Is it from Under a Cherry Moon? Um, I, I remember this, this, this piece of music that made me really mad when I saw it in the theaters. Um, Michael Keaton in Batman has his... He uses a CD player, like a turntable with this song. <laughs> like he's, he's doing some sort of thing and he's, he's like... Yeah. yeah he's That's like, not Bat Dance, is it? Hmm? Is it Bat Dance? Uh, maybe, I don't know if that's... This is... Uh, the name of the song is... He looks at his notes. Party Man. Oh. God damn it. Jesus I'm just trying to keep this from going to sleep. Sorry. All right, what's next? This game's getting angry. <laughs> um, four. Heaven only knows what you I'm get song title. Uh, Red Dawn? Good guess, but no. I don't know. All right. I'll give you a hint. Well, you guess first. I'll give you a hint. It's not fair. Is it the Karate Kid? No. It is. Uh, Another uh, song from the same artist from the same movie was in um, uh, Shit. Uh, the Dirk Diggler movie, whose name I—it's past. Boogie Nights. Boogie Nights. Transformers. Just, yep. Who's the artist? Uh, the artist is Stan Bush, and the song is Dare. <laughs> this question. All around. This quiz is really. Hard. Um, eighteen. Go. Kenny Loggins. Yes. Is it 
<laughs> yes. I'll give you a ding for that one. <laughs> is it tough? Uh, <laughs> oh, pressing buttons all over the place. Jeez. Is it Kenny Loggins from Footloose? And I couldn't tell you the song title if you gave me money for it. Tara? Heaven help me? I'm free. Heaven helps the man. Mm. Well, we're getting down to the last few here. All right. Um, Tara, choose a number. Um, 16. I can't believe I won't see her again. Wishing she'd return. It's a Michael J. Fox movie. Feeling like I'm burning up my it's not casualties of war. Tara buzzes in. I'm, I'm going to ask Beverly Hills Cop again. Um, that Michael J. Fox is not a Beverly Hills cop. I, never heard, I didn't hear you say anything about Michael J. Fox. I said it's a Michael J. Fox movie. It's not Casualties of War. I didn't hear. I didn't hear you in my headphones. Um, God, what's another Michael J. Fox movie that's not Back to the Future or Casualties of War? Oh, now I know. I wish I could have heard that fire. clue. That probably would have been helpful. Well, maybe you should listen. Maybe you should talk so oh, I can hear you over like music. Secret of my success. Is Teen it Wolf. Bright Lights, Big Sydney? It is Teen Wolf. Oh, right. James House, Flesh on Fire. All right. All right. Um, you guys are bad at this. Six. This tough. Turning out to be a tough one. All right, here we go. Is that it? Get ready with your buzzer. Oh, is that one. the last one? <laughs> Three more after this. This is that song from The Karate Kid. It's called You're the Best. Around. <laughs> <laughs> Are you saying around is the artist? I don't know the artist. <laughs> I'm just going to tell is it you. The be- you're is it you're the best ellipses around? No, no, no. It's you're the best. I was okay. a slow on the thing. Uh, the artist is Joe Bean Esposito. All right. His nickname is Bean. It's a great nickname. Yeah. All right. <laughs> All right. I'll get two out of three. The very last one is number. No, there, I said there are three more. Oh, God damn it. Um, wow. Three. Is it from that movie, Heavy Metal? Whoa. Um, one-way ticket to midnight? And the artist, uh... Motley Crue? Um, is it... Artist and title up for grabs. Van Halen? Artist and song. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Heavy Metal from Heavy Metal by Sammy Hagar. I, Close. Is, that's why I said Van Halen. God damn it. All right. Second Good last one, though. right? Oh, jeez. Got to bring my buzzer back up. Um, eight. <laughs> All right. Listen to this one. Most <laughs> answers are provided. <laughs> Tara buzzes in before the clue, context clue. In the, in the... I didn't, did I? I thought you did. All right, never say die. Bye. Wait, 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 wait. We'll play a little bit more because I thought you buzzed in. No. Okay. Iron Eagle. <laughs> and the artist. Uh, <laughs> King Cobra. 
Is, is that the artist? Is the name of the group. God damn it, Why did he give Joe a chance to answer? Joe, would you have guessed King Cobra? <laughs> yes, oh, I absolutely I was going to say Gino Vanelli. Last one, right? Last one, number 14. <laughs> this isn't the same song. <laughs> Oh, oh, I think Joe was faster there. I think he was too. Is it Journey? Okay, then I'm done. That's it. Is it Steve Perry? Oh. oh. <laughs> I, thought, I thought it was one of those Anything technicalities. Else? Any other guesses? No. No. That was uh, Sweetest Victory by Touch from Rocky Four. Oh, I should have known there would have been a Rocky song There in was there. a band called Touch? Apparently. That wow. Was, that was terrible. That was a horrible bloodbath for me. <laughs> yeah. Good job, Joe. Thank you. All right. So you know what that means then, right? Um, Joe is now leading in the standings. I know. This season. Three I know. Games He's to got two. three Tatars. Tara, fast out of the gate, stalled since then. <laughs> yeah. Theme and music is not your friend. Nope. No. All right, guys. Well, I think that is it for another episode. We chewed the fat. Both the Waking Dead. Walking Dead. God damn it. Discovered why uh, Dave hates comics and ducks. We explored uh, Joe's pantheon of blousy blondes and inducted communication problems into the canon by a two-thirds majority. Uh, me and Joe stared at each other awkwardly as Tara explained her nutball DVR <laughs> techniques. No. We crowned another winner and loser of the week, and Joe was a winner of this week's game time. That's right. I'm David T. Cole on behalf of Tara Ariano. Yes. And Joe Reed. Ahoy. We'll see you next week. Wait a minute. Who the hell is Joe? Hey, this is Dave again. Uh, I am a bad host. I forgot to thank Matt for the game time quiz. Excellent job, Matt. And thank you also to Matt for the canon. He put in two things. He's putting you all to shame, guys. You should submit your own audio questions, comments, and considerations for the canon. And you can find out how to do that at extrahotgreat.com slash talk. We'll see you next week.